Today, we're at Nehemiah chapter 2, continuing in our series of Nehemiah. We're going to pick up in verse 10 and go throughout the uh, end of this chapter with a message titled tonight, Rise Up and Build. If you like taking notes, write that down as the uh, title of the message, Rise Up and Build. Now, this message is so timely for today. This book is so timely for today. It's loaded with so much meaning and application that we can receive and use on a day-to-day basis in regards to facing challenges. I don't know about you, but this year completely for the church and for the world, for our country, has been a time and a season full of challenges. And we see here that Nehemiah in chapter 2 is a man with a burden. He's a man with a vision, a man with a plan. You see, it was more than just a good idea. It was a vision with a plan, and he was executing this vision. He was now going to renew. He was going to go reconstruct. He was going to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And two weeks ago, we left off where Nehemiah steps out in faith. And he steps out in obedience. Now notice, every step of faith is a step of obedience. And one of the things that we appreciate about Nehemiah is that he's building now on a firm foundation of prayer and of waiting on God. He's building on this firm foundation of prayer. Today, we as men and women, as Christians, ought to be building on a firm foundation and in prayer. Here in two weeks, we have the opportunity to rise up and to build. As as Christians, not only we have the privilege, but we have the God-given responsibility, not only as citizens, but as Christians, to rise up and to vote righteously. That we would be called to rise up and to build for the principles that are biblical and for the things that stand for righteousness. And Nehemiah in chapter 1 started from prayer to planning. And now in chapter 2, we're going to see the plowing. You see, it wasn't just emotion. It was emotion now with prayer. It was emotion with now a plan. It was emotion now with execution. And before God can use Nehemiah to do a revival, he had to break Nehemiah in chapter 1. Nehemiah was filled with humility and with brokenness now. And he's facing certain challenges and certain opposition now. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, where we left off. And it says, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they heard that Nehemiah had come to Jerusalem, they were deeply disturbed. Notice that. That a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you've given us a responsibility, Lord. We ask, so that we would step out in faith and in obedience. That there would be nothing that we would be unwilling to do that you have called us to do. That, Lord, yes, we will face challenges in opposition, Lord, but that we would stand in the gap for righteousness. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Together we said, amen. 
Now we notice here that the opposition that Nehemiah was facing was by Sambalat and Tobiah. And Paul in the New Testament reminds us that anytime that a great and effective door opens, there's adversaries. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, that Paul says this, For a great and effective door has opened up for me, and there are many adversaries. You see, Nehemiah, when he steps into Jerusalem, he's looking to do a work that God called him to do, and he is not looking to please man. He's not looking to please Sambalat and Tobiah. Because oftentimes when we're so concerned about pleasing man, we often fail to please God. And Nehemiah was not going to be a man pleaser. (laughs) Nehemiah was going to be a God pleaser from beginning to end. It was Charles Swindoll that said this, experiencing criticism and opposition doesn't necessarily mean you're outside of God's will. Rather, it may reinforce the fact that you are in the very center of his plan. (laughs) Isn't this amazing that we get to see and be encouraged by Nehemiah that we will face opposition and certain challenges when pursuing God's will for our life, but our responsibility and our calling is to be faithful and to be obedient through the midst of it all. The Lord is our confidence. I've heard it said before that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you or sustain you. I'm going to say that one more time because I want that to sink in deep into your hearts. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you or sustain you. And Nehemiah here is mobilizing He's organizing, he's encouraging now the people of Jerusalem, but before he can take the land, he had to walk the land. Before he could make any changes, you know what Nehemiah had to do? He he had to walk the land and, and, and observe and make an examination of what changes need to be made. I pray that tonight you make a self examination of your own life, of what changes need to be made. So that you can rise up and build now the walls that have been torn down of commitment, of devotion, and of holiness. You see, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem with a heart full of prayer, full of faith now. A heart full of wisdom. A heart with a big vision now. Where the king had honored now the plan that God put in his heart now. And he finally gets to his destination, and we're going to see three major things in this text that we're going to read. The first one is examination. The second one is cooperation. And the third one is determination. First one is examination. The second one is cooperation. And finally, determination. And throughout this entire season that Nehemiah is going, not only is he efficient, But he's also effective. Not only is Nehemiah doing the right things now, he's doing them the right way. (laughs) Oftentimes we get in trouble for doing even the right things, but we're doing them the wrong way because we haven't spent time in prayer. (laughs) You see, Nehemiah spent time in prayer. Therefore, he was able to do the right things the right way. And here he examines. He calls for cooperation. And he's fully determined in every season and every challenge of opposition. Notice, verse 11, it says this, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. 
Key word here, then. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate, to the serpent well and to the refuse gate, and I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and which gates were burned with fire. Now, right here, right out of verse 11, as he enters and arrives at his destination, he's very tactical and he's very strategic in his plan. Notice what happens here in verse 11, church, please. Because Nehemiah arrives here, and look what it says here, I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Four months of waiting and praying, talking to the king, then going back to prayer, then finally arriving at Jerusalem, and he waits for three days in solitude and in silence. Do you see how important it is to be sensitive to the God's timing? The three days, you know what it talks about? It speaks about timing. Are you outside of God's timing today? That you want to get things done right now? When God has his own timetable for your life. And Nehemiah was sensitive to these things. In fact, he was in the secret for three days praying. This is a praying character that Nehemiah had. Nobody was with him for these three days. His character was, was so valuable in the sense that he was willing to hear from God. You know, character is, is absolutely important in the life of a man or woman of faith. It's been said before that your reputation may be what others think you are, while character is what God sees. And Nehemiah was faithful behind the scenes. Notice, he was not striving he wasn't anxious. He wasn't ambitious. He wasn't self-promoting. Oftentimes in our lives, we get very frustrated, very disillusioned, very let down because we're striving, we're ambitious, we're anxious, we're self-promoting for something that God has not said it is time for that yet. He did not start his service for God until he was alone with God. <laughs> And he arrived at Jerusalem, he, he was alone with God, he was counting the costs now, because he wanted to build the right way. And once he started, notice this about Nehemiah, because we're going to read this very carefully, that once Nehemiah started, and he put his hand to the work, he was not going to stop or look back. He was committed. Therefore, the foundation of the way he started was vital. Do you understand why a lot of things don't last? Why they start but they don't last, they don't finish, is because they lack foundation. And oftentimes, even in our Christian walk, we find ourselves shaken. We find ourselves filled with fear. And it all attributes back to a weak foundation. Prayer is the bedrock to a strong foundation of the man and woman of faith. Prayer. But notice what happens here in verse 12 because it says, Then I arose in the night. I love this now. He was wrestling with this burden of the broken down walls and the gates that were burned with fire. He was wrestling with a burden in the dark and with a few men. Notice what happens here. 
I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Underline that, please, church. Notice, Nehemiah was not in a hurry. He was not in a hurry now. And it says him and a few men at night woke up and he, he gathered them together he, and he told no one, notice this, he told no one of what God put in his heart to do. Where did this desire, this burden come from? It was a God-given desire. It was a God-given burden. It was a calling now. It wasn't an opportunity. It was a calling. And he, he recognized that because he attributes that burden to the Lord. He said, I told no one of what God put in my heart to do. Oftentimes, today, when God puts something in our heart to do, you know what we want to do? We want to tell everybody. But he's so wise. You know what he does? He doesn't tell anyone. Because he didn't want attention. He wasn't doing it for himself. Today, every time we want to do something for the Lord, the first thing we want to do is we want to tell people. Oftentimes, the wisest thing to do is say, just keep it in your heart and let the Lord do the work. It was Charles Spurgeon that said this, you often find it best not to commit your plans to others. If you want to serve God, go and do it and then let other people find out afterwards. You have no need to tell what you are going to do. And I may add, there is no need for you retelling what you have done for very, very frequently, God withdraws himself when we boast about what is done for God. Isn't that so true that oftentimes when we talk about everything that we're going to do or what we have done and God's hand is initially on it, that he withdraws himself because now you've made it about yourself. It's better to keep silent and your ear open. Lord, what do you want me to do? What a perfect example we have in Nehemiah because here, number one, examination begins. At night wrestling, and he's going to make a, an examination as he counts the cost of the damage that was made. How much effort is going to be needed? How much money? How much time? How much leadership is needed? Notice in verse 13 it says, And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuge gate. He gives us now the pathway that he took to be able to view the wall. Verse 13, it says, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem. That word viewed is another word for I examined. I examined the walls of Jerusalem. You know what he was? He was watchful. He woke up at night and he was watchful. He was vigilant. He was alert how often have we woken up at night and examined the lives of our children, of our marriages, and said, I'm going to wrestle in prayer for these things. I'm going to do a self-examination of what's taking place. Because it says here in verse 13, notice what he does, Nehemiah. He viewed the walls of Jerusalem. He examined the walls that were broken down, the gates that were burned with fire now. He wanted to notice the need. He wanted to take time to find out what was actually taking place because the situation was not something that was in his mind. It was something that he was carrying in his heart. And it says this very well now that, he, that in verse 14, as we keep reading, that I went out on the fountain gate. Notice another gate. 
into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. He's giving us a description of how narrow the pathway that he was taking was. It says, verse 15, so I went up in the night again by the valley and I viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. You see, from verse 13 to verse 15, he tells us, as we read this narrative, that he's making an examination. But you notice what he did as he went through one gate and then the other? And he went through one valley and then he rode up? He's taking a tour now of the city. (laughs) And he wants to be aware of the details now. Now ask yourself, if someone took a tour of your life the same way, that Nehemiah took a tour of Jerusalem. Would they notice any broken down portions and walls of your life? If you took a tour of your personal spiritual life and you started to examine every area of your devotional, your prayer life, your holiness, your integrity, your character, how would that look? Are you taking time to be aware of these details? In fact, Proverbs 25, verse 28 says this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city with broken down walls. Are we like a city with broken down walls? Not able to be able to fully fix our attention and our trust in the Lord? There are many lives, even through the situation and environment that we're living in, that are lives like cities with broken down walls today. Living in constant fear, living in constant now compromise. But what we shouldn't do is is really now hide our eyes from these broken down places because Nehemiah wasn't doing that. He was taking time to observe. He was taking time to examine. Now notice verse 16 that it says this, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Not only did he not tell anyone, but also he didn't tell them where he was going and what he was doing now. (laughs) What did they not know? They They didn't know where or they didn't know what. He didn't even tell those that would do the work. This reminds us now of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus said, when you're going to do something, especially something good, don't blow a trumpet. You're going to do a terrible deed. You know what Nehemiah teaches us here? The beauty of simplicity. You're doing this for the Lord. He's teaching us to serve quietly now, not making a scene. This is one of the best leadership qualities that we can learn of Nehemiah. For us that are called to serve the Lord. That you don't have to be loud about everything. You can serve the Lord in humility. So that he can get the glory. And here Nehemiah was a man of prayer. A man of purpose. Not having told anyone where he was going. Or what he was doing. He's beholding now what's stirred in his heart. Very deep and in his soul. With a desire to rebuild. What compromise and self-seeking had damaged and destroyed He's beholding that. You know how walls come down while walls that are protection, of devotion, of prayer, how how those are destroyed because of simple compromise and simple self-seeking. Pleasure. Pleasure. 
But look at what Nehemiah does because at verse 17, he starts to do this beautiful thing and he starts to cast vision for renewal. Some of us need some vision today to rebuild. He's going to cast vision now. It says here in verse 17, notice, Then I said to them, you see, look for yourself. Look for yourself. 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. Look at, draw your attention to this, he's saying. How Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us, notice what he's, how he's inviting them. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we no longer may be a reproach now. And as he's casting down vision, he says, notice the attention. Jerusalem, our city, is lying in waste. Its gates are burned with fire. And I love this now because he uses this word distress. You know what this word distress, it means now? He's saying we are in trouble. We are in anguish now. We are in a very high time of affliction. It sounds like the time that we're living in today, in anguish, a distress, an affliction, a trouble. And we have to remind ourselves what Nehemiah's name means. Nehemiah's name means Jehovah or God has comforted. Now, that word comfort means helper. And Nehemiah here is like a type of Old Testament now, Holy Spirit, that he's comforting these people, it reminds us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to come and minister to distress tonight. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit wants to minister to distress, to affliction, to anguish, and to trouble. So that what has been damaged, destroyed, and torn down can be raised up and rebuilt again. This is so awesome when we depend upon the Holy Spirit to do this. But Nehemiah includes himself, and he says, we are, notice, let us rebuild, so that we no longer can be a reproach or a distress. And he's speaking now to an internal motivation for the people of Jerusalem. He's saying, I, I want to speak hope to you. I want to speak life to you, that we don't have to live this way. <laughs> and he's inviting them now to rebuild for long-term results. Are you willing to accept that invitation to rebuild now for long-term results? Because Nehemiah was asking him, would you want to be a part of this permanent change that is going to now require work, but it's going to give us life and hope now? But oftentimes we're very uncomfortable with change. We don't like change. We want to avoid change as much as possible. It was this last week that I was on the phone with a representative in looking to make arrangements for me and my family to take some time away and, and to rest. And I was speaking to the gal on the phone, and she was very nice, and I told her, excuse me, just miss, I just want to confirm that if I call back, this is going to be consistent. Nothing's going to change. I mean, I, I just want to make sure that if I call back what you've told me, it's going to be the same. <laughs> because I've had a time and instances where, where maybe I spoke with someone else and things dramatically changed, and they're not the same of what I was told. And I was so impressed by what she told me. She said, sir, completely impressed with what you said. The only thing consistent right now is change. <laughs> Isn't that so true? 
But Nehemiah wisely identified the problem in the situation. Notice this. He didn't play the blame game. He didn't come to, to point his fingers at the walls where it's your fault or, or their fault. He, he wasn't even there to do it for them now. He was there to partner with them so that together they can restore Jerusalem and its people. Because this is what they needed now. They needed to go together. Unity is what they needed. It's been said before, if you want to go fast, then go alone. But if you want to go far, then go together. And unity is so important in the church. Nehemiah was asking for unity in this verse. Notice, unity is not something that you can fabricate. You can't fake unity. Unity is only something that the work of the Holy Spirit can do through prayer. And every work of God that begins in prayer, you know what it has also? It has unity. That's what the Bible says in Acts 2, that they were what? In one accord. The Holy Spirit moves when the church is united in prayer. And here Nehemiah is asking for unity now. So we go from examination now to the second word, cooperation. Let's look at verse 18, the cooperation that happens now. And I told them of the hand of God, of my God, which had been good, I love this part, good to me now, or good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. Now, not only did he cast vision, he also said this. He wanted to instill confidence in them. He wanted to give them words of affirmation so that he can draw cooperation from that. I said, I told them of the hand of my God that was upon me. And what kind of hand was it? It was the good hand upon him. It was the goodness of God's hand. He was recognizing that it was the goodness of God's hand behind this entire vision. That God was funding now and he was providing for this project, for this rebuilding. And he was proving this is not a work of the flesh. This is a work of the spirit now. In fact, not only that, but verse 18 says also, and of the king's words that he had spoken to me. I'm also going to tell them that the king is supporting this work now. And he's inspiring now encouragement and motivating them to catch the vision for change. Have you caught the vision for change in your life? You see, you can't catch the vision for change until you first have made and taken time for self-examination. It's absolutely needed. The heart of the king of Persia had been touched by the Lord to support the work. And I love this because Nehemiah attributes the faithfulness of the work to the hand of God. And he says, and he says the fingerprints of God are all over this. It wasn't a work of man. It wasn't the work of the flesh. He wasn't forcing anything open. It was God touching this work. If something has the fingerprints of man on it, people will rightly hesitate. But if it has the fingerprints of God all over it, you know what happens? People are going to respond now. I like what Billy Graham said. He said, oftentimes all people want to do is talk about themselves. Talk about themselves wherever they go. Talk about Jesus instead, he said. Lift up Jesus and he will draw men to himself. Isn't that what we need to lift up Jesus and he's going to draw people to himself? When Nehemiah was doing this, he was putting all the attention 
on the Lord and on God's hand. He was saying, this is not Nehemiah's project. This is God's project. This is not about Nehemiah. This is about now the Lord doing this because he wanted them to be ready for unity now. One of the things that we can learn from Nehemiah is that he didn't beg. He didn't offer rewards or incentives to keep people interested. He said, this is what God is doing. I want to invite you to be a part of this change for the glory of God. He didn't need to have to keep them interested. You know, oftentimes what we want to do is we want to keep people interested in God's work. I love what Pastor Chuck Smith said when he said, if you strive to gain, you're going to strive to maintain. Nehemiah wasn't trying to please man. He was giving them a charge. He was giving them a charge. Notice what happens as he gives them this charge because the only motivation that they had was hope for themselves, their well-being. All these external motivations, these gimmicks, and all the hype, all of that stuff, it may get something started, but it won't keep people committed. It will not keep anyone committed. That's why oftentimes we try to rebuild those walls in our own strength, and they do not last. We try our marriages, and it doesn't work. We try with our children, and it doesn't work. We try with our ministries. Oftentimes, it doesn't work. Because it must start with the burning in the heart, with prayer, and God's hand behind it. Nehemiah was relying on the Lord. I'm going to ask you tonight, who are you relying on? At the end of verse 18, it says, so they said. Notice how they respond. Let us rise up and build. Then they set up their hands to this good work. This is amazing. They heard now the vision that he was casting and they cooperated. They said, so let us rise up and build. Let us contribute now. Let us collaborate. Let us commit to this work. There was a God-inspired, spirit-led response here. It said, and they set their hands to this good work. That word set their hands to this good work means and they strengthened themselves to this good work. They were engaged. They were involved now. Notice their hands were set because their hearts were moved. You know, oftentimes we don't want to do anything with our hands because our heart is hard. And we simply just don't care. Your hands will never be open if your heart is closed. We don't say, Lord, break our heart. Because this unity of vision that was taking place here in Nehemiah chapter 2, it was a unity of purpose now. And they were going to rise up and build. They were going to answer the call. Answering the call here. You see, yes, leadership was needed, but everyone had to put their part. Are you putting in your part? Are you putting in your part in two weeks? Are you speaking out for truth and for righteousness when it comes to the future of this country and the next generation should the Lord tarry? You see, there was no separations here in in verse 18. No one had an independent spirit. (laughs) No one had an independent spirit. They all had the same cause, the same unity. A church will be an unconquerable church when it's a united church. But it must be united. They all were cooperating with this vision. You want to see the Lord do something in your your life? You have to cooperate. And say, whatever, Lord, you want to do in my life, who am I to stand against what you want to do in my life? 
You must be willing. Are you willing today to do what God wants you to do? Are you answering the call of what God wants for your life? Notice what happens here in verse 19 after they respond. Now you see a great and effective door has opened. But now we are reminded of our adversaries. <laughs> Every time you want to respond to a work of the Spirit in your life where the Spirit wants to dominate and to lead your life into a life of victory in the Lord, notice what's going to be your enemies, the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are going to come and stop what God wants to do. The jealousy, the division, the ego now. And here, this man Sambalat and Tobiah were tools for spiritual warfare. <laughs> Notice what happens in verse 19. It says, but when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, notice what happens here, and Geshem, the Arab. No, what, what happened? Who is Geshem? <laughs> we didn't start this chapter with Geshem. We just started with Sambalat and Tobiah, and now we have a third one. Now, you see how opposition oftentimes starts small, but then it grows? It started with two, and now it's three now. And when they heard, notice what happens here in verse 19. When they heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? You see this opposition happening, and they're mocking him. They're laughing at him. They're despising him. In fact, you know what they're really doing to Nehemiah? They want to ridicule him. Look at Nehemiah. What does he think he's doing? He wants to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Who do you think you are, Nehemiah? Let's mock him. Let's laugh at him. Let's speak about him behind his back. They didn't know anything about Nehemiah. They misunderstood Nehemiah's intentions. They didn't get time to get to know Nehemiah. And notice what they, they falsely say or come to an assumption now. Because they're looking down upon this work because of their own pride. They're looking down upon this work because of their own ego. Because of their own jealousy now. And there's division here. You know, division always begins from the place of pride and self-seeking. You see, what they were looking at were just mere walls. But what Nehemiah was looking at was the glory of God. They were focused on something so material while Nehemiah was focusing on something spiritual and something that would help the people long term. Now notice what happens here because he's saying, what are you doing? Are you challenging and rebelling against the king? These men were simply ignorant. They didn't know that the king supported this work. In fact, these three men didn't know what they were talking about. Have you ever noticed oftentimes we are scared to step out because of what people will say about us? And oftentimes those people that really criticize you for stepping out in faith, they don't even know what they're talking about. The Sambalats and the Tobias. But in verse 20, we have our third word, determination. Notice this word determination because it springs from a focus that Nehemiah had. So I answered them. Look what Nehemiah has in his focus. So I answered him and said to them, The God of heaven himself, a man of prayer, a man of faith, a man of confidence, 
a mature man of the Lord. Notice what he says. I answered him, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. He's going to help us succeed. It doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> because he was obedient. And notice, as we finish reading this verse, verse 20, he will prosper us, therefore, because our trust is in him, therefore, notice, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. <laughs> now, notice what, what Nehemiah is saying here. We're being obedient. We're going to rise up and build. We are his servants. We're going to start rebuilding, and you have no share. You have no legal right. You have no historic claim here in Jerusalem. We're not rebelling against the king. We're submitting before God. Now I want to ask you this. Are you submitting before God? Here in Nehemiah, notice, he has God's hand of protection. He has God's hand of goodness on him. He was reminding them God's word he was reminding them who he was called to do, and he was not discouraged. No, number one, he was not discouraged, and he was not delayed. You know, there's often times that we ask ourselves, you know what, if I step out in faith, but what are they going to say about me? What is God going to say about you if you don't? What is God going to say about you? Because he's the one that we're going to answer. The Sambalats and Tobias, you know what they have to do? They have to take that up with God. One day they will, get, they will have to answer to God. Nehemiah was saying, you're either going to keep up or keep out. <laughs> God's going to accomplish it regardless if we want to or not. Oftentimes, we want to be very stubborn in our flesh and say, Lord, I don't want you to do that in my life. And the flesh starts to creep up and rebel against the spirit. And the Lord's saying, you know what? Whether you want to or not, oftentimes, I'm going to have to break you. And I'll tell you this. It's much easier that you humble yourself than God have to humble you. It's much easier that you humble yourself than God have to humble you. And Nehemiah here is teaching us how, how really as leaders and as Christians, how we ought to handle criticism. It's part of the leadership package. <laughs> Oftentimes, if you don't get criticized, chances are you're not getting anything done. And Nehemiah was here being obedient now, and he's saying, you have no right, no share, no blessing to this. And he really had no time to spend energy on these people, on their critics, and on their claims now. And notice what, what Nehemiah does after this. He doesn't have to provide an explanation. Stop trying to provide an explanation to the world on why you're serving the Lord. Be faithful with what God called you to do today. Nehemiah wasn't a yes man. He wasn't a yes man. And here really the, the, these critics and these complaints really serve oftentimes in our lives as distractions that discourage us, that delay us from what God wants to do in our lives. But I'm so encouraged by what Nehemiah says for all of us tonight because he says here, you have no place here. <laughs> he wasn't scared to hurt people's feelings. What are they going to think if I say that I just don't want to commit to that because I'm already busy serving the Lord? 
Does that matter? What's more important, church? Nehemiah is saying here, you don't belong here. God is doing a great work. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then just move on. That's what he's telling them. Because he knew here, Nehemiah, that if they refused to be now convicted about what God was doing, they were never going to be convinced. And oftentimes we spend a lot of time refusing the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we never grow. I pray that if tonight the Holy Spirit is convicting you about rebuilding something that maybe was torn down because it was damaged and destroyed because of compromise and self-seeking that you would not refuse his voice. I want to invite the worship team to come forward here. And as we close, we, we notice that Nehemiah was what? He was determined. What was he determined to do? He was determined to allow no one but God to stop the work. No one but God was going to stop this work. Only God was going to stop this work. And notice, what happens here is that he's so focused that, that he, only, he almost asks us or, or forces us to ask the question, when God wants to do something, will you complain or are you going to collaborate? Are you going to criticize or are you going to contribute now with an attitude of pride and of jealousy now? Because just because it's not being done your way, it doesn't mean God's not doing a work. And oftentimes we say, Lord, I, I want you to do it my way now. No, you know what, Nehemiah, he was sensitive to the spirit. He was so patient. He was praying. He was waiting on God's timing. And notice he went through every gate and he started to go around and take a tour of the city of Jerusalem. He was examining everything. And I love this, that he had to go through the city. Notice he had to enter the gates to get into Jerusalem. He had to enter the doors to get into Jerusalem. And if you want to get into that place of rest, into that place of promise, you, want, you have to go in through heaven's gates, through those doors. What are those doors, those heaven's gates? Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Are you waiting on the Lord so that he does something in your heart and in your life? Are you struggling building something that it's just not simply working because we're not waiting on the Lord. It's just all about striving. It's all about human effort. It has the hand of man all over it instead of the hand of God. I was so ministered this week by Isaiah chapter 40 that said this, Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak now. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. Here's the key, church. But those who wait on the Lord. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Here Nehemiah is renewing because he first was willing to wait on the Lord now. Renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oftentimes the church is discouraged because they haven't waited. They're disillusioned because they haven't waited. They're frustrated because we haven't waited. We think that we should be in a different place in life, but we haven't waited on the Lord now to restore and to renew. We haven't gone through the door of Jesus. 
and we've allowed a compromise to come into our lives, maybe today you want to recommit to rise up and build in your life. If you want to recommit to rise up and to build in your personal life, a recommitment, a recommitment to rise up and build, I want you to stand on your feet. Come forward to the altar. We're going to pray.